Are you in your pyjamas? I'm in a jumper and got pyjama bottoms on. <laughs> Amazing. Just, uh, <laughs> just going to waft this biscuit before we start. Are you a dunker? I am actually. I had a couple of rich teas the weekend doing that. Actually. Oh. What biscuits have you got? They're kind of like, what are these ones? They're like the shortbread type ones. Don't know what they're called, but they're really nice. <laughs> like the sugary ones? Mm. I, was in the, I didn't know they still did these, but companies do this thing called like the broken biscuit box where they just oh, get yeah. them. so yeah. all the broken ones i don't know i didn't think they still did them i remember them as a kid like we used to have bo- a box of them but we we're walking through the shop and my kid saw them and he was like gotta get this and i don't know my i walked through a shop with my <laughs> son and and then i end up just getting fat out of yeah. it so i don't know my granddad's sort of <laughs> Every sort of dunker biscuit in front of my granddad, he always goes, Would you buy a, a packet of them damp? I was like, No. <laughs> I was like, No, obviously not. And he was like, Well, why'd you dunk it then? And he just sort of go, Well, it's just nice, isn't it? <laughs> it's not that deep. <laughs> I'm absolutely not having that logic. That's like saying, <laughs> Would you buy a packet of frozen chips with ketchup all over yeah, it? Yeah, no. yeah. Yeah, that is it. Yeah. I've eaten my biscuit. I'm going to stop the, uh, what do they call it? It's muck banging, isn't it? when people log on to like YouTube and Twitch and things and watch people eat. What a horrible thing to do. Why yeah. did you do that? What are you up to, love? Oh, i am just just got my laptop. I'm just watching this guy eat sort of had Thai. <laughs> like, why? Why is that a thing? <laughs> did you watch, I still call it the Coca-Cola Cup final. Did you watch the League Cup final yesterday? Yeah. I saw, when I started watching football, it was called the Carling Cup final. I feel like Carling, the Carling Cup, I feel like that rolls to the tongue quite well. But definitely better than Carabao. But um. It yeah. was, I think it was Littlewoods when I started out. It's been a milk cup as well, isn't it? Milk, yeah. Remember that. God. So um, But yeah, yeah. It's just, I, I don't think Newcastle really took to the occasion. But yeah, I thought Manchester United dealt with it quite well. They've got a few players that have been around the block, haven't they? Man United players like yeah, Casemiro I thought it was, and, and whatnot. Varane. Yeah, well, well Cas- I mean, Casemiro's won something like 11 out of 13 major finals that he's yeah. been involved in. If you were doing like the best players in the world based on this season, he would be one of the first three players on the team sheet. I think he's he's comfortably one of the best in the world right now. I love those players like him who just nothing showy about it. They just mm. get on with the job in hand, do it exceptionally well. They know what they're doing. Obviously, more recent examples like N'Golo Kante in the Leicester title winning season, like barely got any plaudits for that until sort of afterwards, really. Yeah. Uh, just gets on with his job quietly. I thought Newcastle looked like deer in headlights in the first half. They didn't really know how to deal with it. You look at Manchester United's fixture list as well, which is just ludicrous. Those players, I mean, he, he bar- he's barely changed the starting lineup for the last few yeah, weeks. Yeah, it's very they've been, impressive. They've been playing so twice a week. Um, they've got, they couldn't even celebrate because they've got the West Ham FA Cup game is on Wednesday, I think. Um, God, and then they've got, and then it's Liverpool on Sunday. So they haven't even got any time to rest, but it's, it's absolute madness. I mean, I can't get my head around why the powers that be would think that it would be acceptable in a, in a season where a month was taken out for a world cup mm. to then decide to have this bizarre. I mean, the games against Bar- between Manchester United yeah. and Barcelona were fantastic, but why are you adding two games on for those teams? Plus that was the issue. Obviously, the other teams in the playoff as well. It's not just those two teams, but all of them. And also, why is the two-legged semi-final in the League Cup still a thing? There's just so many bizarre decisions, Mm. which as fans, you kind of go, why are the people at the top allowed to make these decisions? Same as replays in the FA Cup as well. Like, There's no need for replays anymore. I think think smaller teams would have a much better chance if it went straight to penalties as opposed to playing another game as well. 
I find replays I think, absolutely staggering as well. I still, I mean, we could probably have a separate football podcast maybe, but <laughs> I think that with replays for me, as a as a fan of a smaller team, getting the, the opportunity to go, I mean, you look at Exeter, who are our traditional rivals. Mm. They went 2005, I want to say. They went to Old Trafford, got a nil-nil draw against Ferguson's fourth team or whatever he put yeah. out that day and took them back to St. James, the the real St. James's Park. So <laughs> I think that in reality, the, the, the replay is a, is a really good idea. I did see one idea which I quite liked, which was that both teams should be given the option before the match as to whether or not it's decided on the day or if it goes to a replay. So maybe if, oh, two, yeah. prem, if two Premier League teams have been drawn against each other, they might say, well, OK, well, because, they, you know, they've mm. got the resource, they... Perhaps, that you know, if you've got, say, for the sake of argument, Arsenal versus Man United in the fourth round of the FA Cup, none of those teams want a replay. No, so they'll no. just, you know, they've got the resources, they've got the money, they don't need the replay. But obviously, if you've got a Torquay or an Exeter versus yeah. Premier League team, they're going to want to keep the option of a replay because they might have the, that once in a lifetime chance of taking a Premier League team back to yeah, their on television to tiny be fair, little round, well. get on television, the amount of money that that would be for a mm. club of that level. So I quite like, I quite like the idea of giving teams the option of whether or not they should have a replay, but you know, there's, there's been too many, there's been too many incredible replays down the years um, for, small, so. for small teams that it's, it, it seems yeah, I think a penalty, shootout, a penalty shootout gives them more chance of going through, though, doesn't it, as opposed to another game against a big team? If I'm talking United, if I've held Manchester United to a draw after 90 minutes at Old Trafford, and my options are penalty shootout, you know, which is essentially 50-50 going through to the next mm. round or not, or taking Man United back to Plainmore for a replay, I'm mm. 99 times out of 100 so. I've taken the replay. Just that chance of getting beat 4-0, though, isn't there? I, I don't care. You, you've got the replay. You've got that once in a lifetime mm. opportunity to take one of the biggest football clubs in the world back to your own stadium. Like it just, it just never happens. So Perhaps. yes, absolutely. 100% taking that. Anyway, right. So we fixed football. So that's good. Should we fix Sorted. golf? Yeah. I think live, unfortunately, will be the main order of the day just because we had the first event of the 2023 mm-hmm. season. But before we get there, let's just talk about what's gone on elsewhere. First of all, shout out to Lilia Vu, who overcame a six shot deficit to win her first LPGA Tour title in Thailand, which was a ludicrous achievement, really, when you look at the stacked field and the fact that the chasing pack not only included the likes of Tia Thitical, Maya Stark, Celine Boutier, all incredible players who are in good form, but also major champions in Nelly Corder, Georgia Hall, uh, who else was there? Ashley Boutier, uh, Anna Nordqvist, uh, the, both the Coes, Lydia and Jin Young, of course. Fantastic win. Well, when you shoot eight under in the last round, you know, that is that's hugely impressive to do that under under severe pressure, of course. I think the string of five consecutive birdies between holes eight and 12 probably helped. But um, I thought she said afterwards, which I found quite funny, she says, she said, today I basically just blacked out and tried to birdie every single hole, <laughs> which I found quite funny. And she, she gave it a good effort, to be fair. She, she made quite a few birdies. But yeah, she, I think she's hit the bar a couple of times. And um, the last uh, last season she came... 
She made three top threes without winning. Um, and she led after 54 holes at the Saudi Ladies International before being chased down by Lydia Ko. But yeah, a shame, shame for the um, for the player in second place, uh, Nathak Katrina. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I'm going to let you. I'm going to let you take this. Uh, I will. Yeah, I'll try again. Nathak Ritter Vong Tavalip, who was one shot behind in her home country of Thailand um, on the sponsorship invitation. So although a great finish for her, that is a shame she couldn't quite get the win um, in her home country. If it makes you feel better, she doesn't know whether it's Chivers or Chivers either. So <laughs> I don't think that's an argument that's ever going to happen between me and me and Nathak Ritter. No, Dub, please don't try. Please don't try again. Just leave it. You, you yeah, did it yeah. once. Just let it go. Yeah. But yeah, um, in the same week that Suzanne Pesson gets announced as the Solheim Cup captain in 2024, another more good finishes for my Stark and Celine Boutier as well. Some more good news for Europe. A bit closer to home. Well, a couple of thousand miles closer to home, I suppose, <laughs> in India. Marcel Seam was getting the job done for his fifth DP World Tour win. His first since 2014. He's got a bit of a strange CB, hasn't he? He won his first tour title in 2004. Mm. Then he had to wait eight and a half years for his second. Then he won three, including the equivalent of what would now be a Rolex series event in a really short space of time. And then he had to wait another eight and a half years or eight and a bit years for his fifth. So sort of a bit of a weird little sort of uh, bit of uh, symmetry going on in his in his career there. But and obviously in that, he also picked up a, a World Cup win with was it Bernard Langer he won it with? And then obviously he was in the hunt at your local Royal St. George's yeah, in 21, indeed. just to add a major championship layer to his cult status. So <laughs> it sort of just goes to show you, you can't take anything for granted in this game, really. And a lot of love for for this man in the in the golf fraternity. Yeah, I sort of remember when I started watching the European Tour, when it was the European Tour, um, in like when I was about 13 or 14, so like t- like 10 years ago, 11 years ago, he was sort of a player that was constant, well, that was regularly um on the leaderboards so he's quite a recognizable player for sort of my demographic um yeah at 42 now and um he gave himself a bit of a heart attack on the last hole because he's he laid up on the par five and sort of left himself with a quite a tricky shot out the out of sort of juicy rough that only just cleared the water but a, a solid sort of two putt um yeah it was great it's great to see him back you sort of had <laughs> I was holding my breath to see what he'd actually do when he won when he held the winning putt um but throwing throwing his hat down is quite sort of tame for Marcel Seam standards <laughs> but yeah he had to go back to Q school of course that's sort of the big story with it he had to go back to Q school where he got his card back in November um he lost his card in 2021 so that's a great that's an absolutely brilliant story um and a pretty amazing a pretty amazing venue um in New Delhi Depends who you ask, really. Isn't yeah, it? yeah I suppose, Eddie Pebble yeah. hates it for starters. Mm. Those bunkers are a bit odd, aren't they? They are, yeah, but maybe a bit much. But no, another good finish for Yannick Paul as well, who is sort of climbing up the Ryder Cup rankings. He's definitely, he will definitely be in um, Luke Donald's thoughts, I imagine. It feels like yeah, every so, week we're, we're talking. Uh, at the moment, we it, we've probably got about hundred players going to Rome. Yeah, for, for, yeah. for Luke's team. Uh, we'll we'll talk more about the Ryder Cup. Mm. later but it's quite nice seeing players like seem come through at these tournaments because like you said there's a bit of a throwback there he's a fan favorite and he's just someone who you absolutely love seeing him win you always know you're going to have a good time when you're watching someone like Marcel <laughs> yeah. Seam, don't you no he's definitely a throwback player as I say he, he was a player sort of at the top of the leaderboards um years ago when I started watching and he's a bit of a, a, bit, a bit of a throwback leaderboard altogether there was uh, Yost Luton in third place 
uh, Campillo, uh, Olison. So it's a bit of a throwback event altogether. Um, Lara Farbel in 10th place. He was sort of a player that I, that, that was um, knocking around the top of the leaderboards when I start, started watching um, for the first time. So yeah, I enjoyed watching sort of the final stretch. It was a good, it was a good battle. Yeah, sort of a two-way battle between the two Germans. You're making a lot of people feel very old. Should we head over the Atlantic to mm-hmm. the Honda Classic, which isn't going to be sponsored by Honda anymore? Was it something like 40 years? This, they're, they're ending their sponsorship for from 2024 onwards. Although Jack Nicholas said on the telecast that he thinks that it will be okay. I mean, his charity benefits massively mm. from that event, doesn't it? A PGA National and he says that he thinks it'll be okay he thinks they'll find another sponsor between now and then but it's sort of it's fallen in this you know the Honda Classic has got some incredible players on its champions list down the years obviously you've got the Bear Trap it's a you know as a venue it's iconic in in, in a PGA Tour sense but mm. it's now falling in between the elevated events. So players like Rory McIlroy and Ricky Fowlers of the world who have won it before are skipping it because they've got Phoenix and Genesis, which are two elevated events. And then they've obviously got Arnold Palmer this week and the players the following week. So they don't want to be playing five in a row so that this Honda's the one they're skipping. So bit, uh, sort of mixed news for the tournament, really. Yeah, it's been, it has been a bit, it's been a bit shafted, really, hasn't it, by the elevated event schedule but it, but that's that's um it's, it's it's hard for the tour to, to to please everyone to please every sponsor when they want to nail down the best players to to, to a, a a solid amount of events so i think the honda honda is sort of taking one for the team in this sense but as jack nicholas said in the in a, it's quite refreshing and good to see jack nicholas in the um studio with paul lazinger and dan hicks yeah he he's he, he seemed quite confident that the tournament will still go ahead next year maybe not um with honda um, but he also revealed, he seemed to reveal that the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am is going to be um, an, an elevated event next year and that Phoenix Open is not going to be an elevated event next year. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. So a bit of an in, bit, some inside info from Jack Nicholas there. The reason for that, I presume, is because Pebble Beach goes up against the Saudi International, mm, which right. all the players go over and play. So I'm, I, that, that must be in the thought of it where they're thinking, well, hang on a second, if we make, mm. the, if we make Pebble Beach an elevated event players will stay over here and play this rather than heading off to the kingdom for the Saudi payday. Yeah. I thought it was a bit of a power move as well, maybe um, with having Jack Nicholas, I'd be the best player ever and having them in, in the studio in the same week that Liv kicked off their second season, thinking that was a bit of a, a deliberate play. But yeah, no, I, I think on when the elevated event structure was announced, I feel like there was an idea of there being now a first division and a second division. Mm. Um, with with PJ Tour events, so elevated events would be like the Premier League, and then on the Classic is almost like like the international weekend in a way, where yeah. we sort of you, you, everyone watches the yeah, League yeah. One or something. Yeah, um, which is which is no slight to people like Chris Kirk and Eric Cole who gave us a, a brilliant finish, um, but I feel like that's I feel like the Honda Classic showed that that that, that is the formation of of the PJ Tour at the minute. There is sort of like two divisions, aren't there? Um, but it was massively, massively exciting for Chris Kirk to win and for Eric Cole, who's a 34-year-old rookie, to contest the finish as well. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that in a sec, but you, you sort of hit the nail on the head there. I mean, I remember a quote from, I think it was Jay Monaghan who said it, where people were saying, yeah, yeah, like, uh, you know, the week after a major, for example, or even just in the off-season where you're thinking, just just have a week off. 
And mm. I think it was Monaghan who said, well, if we don't put a tournament in there, someone else will. It's as simple as that. So they just think, well, we might as well have this opportunity for the lower ranked players to go and win some money. I don't have a problem with them playing the PGA Tour every single week of the year. Like I said, it gives players further down the food chain, as it were, a chance to go and win a bit of cash and players that are fighting for their cards. And then that allows the Rory McIlroy's and the John Rahm's of the world to mm. show up and entertain us 18 to 20 times a year outside of the majors. Uh, the elevated events, you know, we talked about it last week. The elevated events are a, a fantastic idea. They're hitting the best in the world against each other more often. And, and that's really what we want. But yeah, in terms of the Honda Classic, I thought it was, uh, same as you, fantastic finish. It's It was a, a, a wonderful story. I mean, that's why we watch these, any sport really, it's why we watch golf, because you get stories like this where, you know, Chris Kirk, similarly to Marcel Seam, hadn't won for, was it 2015 his last win? Yeah. And, you know, he, he came, you know, he won four times, won his first four events in a relatively short space of time. I think it was between 11 and 15. I, I always say, I think it was like, I haven't got it written down in front of me. So it's between 2011 and 2015, he won his first. He has mm-hmm. another sniff since. Eric Cole is a 34-year-old rookie. Kirk bogeyed 18, didn't he? So he had to, you know, that dropped him yeah. into a playoff. And it was, but there's, there's a lot more to it. Kirk took indefinite leave from tour in 2019, you know, just prior to the pandemic, to deal with alcohol and depression issues. He had an incredibly moving interview afterwards where he said that he owes everything to his sobriety I mean it doesn't matter how much money you've won or how good you are at your uh, in your in your chosen field you know people will suffer from these things and you know we've all suffered really in one way or another particularly the last few years so for him to be so open about that was remarkable and, and obviously we you sort of feel bad for someone like Eric Cole because it was really hard not to root for Chris Kirk on Sunday he was you know given that we know this story uh, and also he made this what is essentially a remarkable decision really given that we're talking about elevated event status he's made this remarkable decision to skip what could have been a very hefty payday he just from he could have made the cut and finished dead last at Riviera mm. and taken home a lot of money he's decided to forfeit that to get himself prepared for the Honda, an event which he felt he could contend at, and not only has he contended, he's You would hope that this is going to be a permanent return to form for Chris Kirk because he actually played in in, in the 2015 Presidents Cup, um, and 2014 he was he was ranked 14th um, in the Ryder Cup standings um, for, for for that year. He was actually he very unlucky. He won a pretty big event, didn't he? He won um he won a FedEx Cup Finals. Uh, event in 2014 I think which would explain the Ryder Cup push and the President's Cup so you won a Deutsche Bank yeah you won a Deutsche Bank yeah. championship Deutsche Bank yeah that's the one um, in I knew I looked it up earlier I just hadn't written yeah. it down and then the Crown Plaza invitation in 2015 at the 2014 Ryder Cup Webb Simpson was ranked lower than him in the standings and he was chosen as a captain's pick and Chris Kirk wasn't so you sort of think of the uh, heights that Chris Kirk was at in terms of almost qualifying for the Ryder Cup a pretty regular PGA Tour winner to struggling with with, with with mental health issues, depression, alcoholism, um, and I, I sort of wanted you, you wanted both of them to win um, last night. Yeah, it, it, it really would have been a nice thing if Eric Cole won. His mother Laura was um, a fantastic golfer, the 1973 LPJ Rookie of the Year. Um, also won the US Women's Amateur as a 16 year old. Um, his dad Bobby Cole. His dad was a PJ Tour player. Wasn't yeah, he? yeah, one and one in 1977. Um, 
he was the a 18 year old winner of the British amateur in 1966. So he's a bit of a late bloomer compared to his parents' um, success <laughs> before before they, they were 20. But an incredible putting performance by Eric Cole yesterday as well. Um, he really holds some absolute bombs to keep himself in it. Um, so as far as a non-elevated event goes, it was really, it was really, really exciting. This is what we love about the PGA Tour so much: is that you've got these elevated events and the majors, etc., which pit the best players in the world against each other. So you've already got the story there of you've got the best players in the world, and then every now and then, like at Phoenix, where a Nick Taylor shows up and surprises everyone and gives you a, a little something else um, to root for. And then, and then you have these, um, are we calling them regular events now? I don't know yeah, what we're calling them. Yeah. You just have these regular, uh, I don't want to call the Honda Classic a regular event. It sort of feels a bit higher than that. But you've got these so-called regular events where players uh, who have these incredible backstories. I mean, Eric Cole's a funny one, isn't he? Because, you know, he's, he's won three quarters of a million quid in his career across the Corn Ferry. Uh, sorry, three quarters mm. of a million dollars across the Corn Ferry and the PGA Tours. He's just won... 916,000 I can't find it 916,000 for that second place alone so I think he's okay with finishing second I think if well, you exactly. got Eric Cole second place at the start of the week he would have taken you well but, exactly um, absolutely incredible really good to watch and listeners if you haven't seen that uh, Chris Kirk interview it's well it's in all the usual places you'd find it mainly mm-hmm. on social media I know the PJ Tour were pushing it across social media this morning it's it's a fascinating insight into what he went through and and how he's come back from that so fair play to Chris Kirk I do have to give a shout out to Kirk and Seam because here we go Seamless Marcel Seamless link <laughs> um, both of them are Callaway players and if you are keeping tally from last week, that's now nine wins in 14 events across the PGA and DP World Tours with the Paradigm Driver, So, which is on sale now. I think I'm going to have to pick one up for is myself. Should we, uh, maybe like we should get Paradigm one. Drivers and then see if we can uh, improve our games. That'd be nice. I think I'll be uh, putting one in my bag because it seems to make you a winner in 2023. So, yep, on sale now. That was absolutely, I'm good at that, I think. I've got, there's a future there, I think. (laughs) Right, let's let's move on to Live Golf because obviously the the 2023 season started at Mayakoba. And once again, it was just in the headlines all week for the wrong reasons. This, I think this for me, is the big thing about Live Golf is the, the PJ Tour, which I guess we are considering its rival, and the DP World Tour, they're very rarely in the headlines for these mm. for these reasons. I don't really understand. Now we've had this week, we, and we're going to talk about it more in depth, but we've had Sergio, Greg, and Poulter all going off at the PJ Tour, the DP World Tour, and, and for various reasons. And you're just thinking, in my head, I just think if you're so happy with this decision that you've made and you've gone and taken all this money and you're doing the live thing, why do you spend all your time hissing and moaning in the media about what's going on on the other side? You've left all that behind. Just let it go. I mean, let's start with Sergio Garcia. So first we had Patrick Reed in Dubai. Now we've got Sergio Garcia having a pop at Rory McIlroy. Sergio Garcia, and this isn't a made up quote. He said that Rory McIlroy lacks maturity. Sergio Garcia said that. Mm. I don't think we need a reminder of the the number of tantrums that Sergio Garcia has thrown down the years. Now, of course, there is an old saying about a pot and a kettle that I can't quite find in my brain. But what is what is the matter with him? 
why can't he just like, I know it's easy to say the journalist asked him a question about Rory McIlroy and he's answered it honestly mm. fine but you think that also the flip side of that Sergio could have just gone do you know what that's all behind me McIlroy and I yeah. were friends we're not anymore because I've made this decision to come to live let's just leave it at that not a great quote mm. or a story for the journalist but really it is what Sergio should have been saying or no one's got a gun to his head, making him get involved with the media talking about that. You know, he, he hasn't got a he hasn't got to say all that. Like, that is a thing. You could say he got asked a question, so he answered it. But he hasn't got a, he hasn't got to be in a situation where he's asked those questions. But yeah, with Sergio, he is just from withdrawing from the BMW PGA, and then 24 hours later, he was at a college football match in Texas, um, spitting in a hole once, um, making racist comments towards Tiger Woods once. Smashing so, the bunker up in Saudi of all places. Yeah, so it's just we've got loads on that. I mean, they're, they're, I, I, I can remember bits where there was one way through his club in the lake. I know, I know, Rory's done all these things. The funniest thing was is that someone when this first came out and it was across social media, someone, a lot of people replied to the original tweet from it was James Corrigan at the Telegraph who did the interview. They they all replied to Corrigan's tweet showing a picture of. McElroy hitting his wedge into a bunch. It's like, well, hang on a second. Yeah, McElroy did do that, and he's just obviously had a, mm, but, a very brief tantrum. But McElroy's not the one accusing anyone of lacking maturity here. Exactly. He, he's not the one saying these things. Like, McElroy could probably admit that that's quite childish and immature to do. To, but we've all done it, up haven't we? Like every, you're, not, you're not human if you haven't hit a bad bunker shot and then taken mm. it out on the sand. Yeah, I'm not even asked that Sergio did it, but it's just, it's just the timeline of all these tantrums and situations that he's been involved in just makes all these quotes, obviously very, very ironic. And um, you'd hope that like, it's a shame that probably golf casual golf fans probably don't know that because he's a very easy golfer to root for. I think Sergio, like you watch him at the Ryder cup and you're obviously desperate for him to win as a European fan. Um, For years, we were all rooting for him to win a major and he finally got there at the masters so we're all buzzing that he won the major and he's and, and we're all rooting for him in the years previous to that. But you, 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 you sort of when you strip it back and take a look at sort of the man, he is he is very sort of um, divisive. And that's a trait. That's a trait with a lot of these live golfers, to be fair. It probably makes it makes him perfect for for the role. But yeah, just massively ironic, isn't it? And then not only is it Sergio, we've got Greg, who I mean, this seems like a perfect place to just remind ourselves that of those text messages that uh, Sergio sent Greg last year that sort of went oh, yeah. viral when he was calling him Sharky. I mean, he was pretty like he was he was about one text away from calling him dad, wasn't he? It was yeah. Hilarious. But you've got Greg Norman, who who spent his entire career not giving an F about what he said or who he offended. Mm. Now having a pop at Rory McIlroy for having the tenacity to just say what he thinks. I mean, it feels like live golf is just where irony goes to die at the moment. Well, if anyone's not read this Greg Norman transcript interview with golf with golf.com, um, my favourite line from it was um, I'll 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 paraphrase it a bit. It was talking he's talking about the official world golf rankings, and he said, "Why is that the OWGR is the only system? Why can't there be others out there giving you options? We depend on the Weather Channel here, but there's also the European model." Which one is right? They deviate a little bit. But at the end of the day, the weather system always comes through. I mean, this is a CEO 
I don't know, just it's, I don't know, it's just the rambling slam. of a madman. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know, just slam, slam them because obviously they're quite easy to to just have a go at. But it, it is that thing of just please, just get on with live golf, get on with trying to make it the best product possible. Um, because there's no, it, it might it might be brilliant one day, but isn't, but it, it is really really tedious. Um, these sort of interviews that Greg Norman does, you can sort of, you can almost play sort of bingo with with with, with the terms that he uses, sort of independent contractors, um, return of investment. Uh, we're not going anywhere. You can really, it's it's like a, yeah. he's like reeling off these these phrases in the in each of these interviews. It's like and a that, sales, that, it's like a sales guy when you phone up a sales, yeah. like someone calls you like a cold caller. And they just have like a script they have to read from. I mean, my <laughs> yeah. my favorite quote from that was when he said that McElroy should quote watch what he says without any context into who he is and who he works for. It's sort of like, yeah, all right, he's just telling McElroy to shut up. But when you think about who his bosses are and what they do and their human rights record, suddenly it sounds really threatening. Well, we. we it... It was a bit of a threat, wasn't it? Like it was, it was a bit threatening. Um, I think he's obviously alluding to the to um to the court case that's obviously going to take place in January 2024. Well, that's the earliest date it'll probably take place. So I think he was sort of alluding to that. But even then, it's a bit threatening because the amount of things Greg says in public, and then you've got this sort of indirect threat to, towards Rory McIlroy. And I found it sort of quite ironic that um he he claimed that PGA Tour players read from a script. Um, I sort of prompted what to say when in the first week, in the first week of Live Golf at Centurion, in each press conference, all, all the players were doing were, were essentially reading off a script saying, I like team golf. We're here to grow the game. We're here to make golf into a force of good. So there's a lot of hypocrisy going on at the minute, which is something that Greg Norman often accuses the PGA Tour of. Did you watch it? Oh, no, I did. Yeah, no. But, d- d- um, again, I, I watched. I watched. I sort of had it on a double screen last night. Actually, I had, it, I had the PJ on my laptop. Then, um, then live on the Live Golf Plus app. Um, so that is for people that don't know. That is where we can actually watch Live. Mm. In so let's just talk about that for a second. So now we have to download an app and get it. Last year it was on YouTube, which is perfect because everyone's got YouTube. Mm. So now we have to download an app. I was sort of thinking last night. I wanted to watch the PJ Tour on my TV, so I didn't really. So I wasn't downloading live on my tv because i wouldn't have been able to split screen it mm. and then i was just sort of thinking well i don't particularly want to watch golf on my phone so and my laptop was just like 10 feet away from me so i just couldn't really be bothered to move <laughs> yeah. and get it so i was like i don't but do you know what i mean though it's it sort of feels like if you're going to watch live it feels like you really have to want to watch it in that sense Whereas mm. the PJ Tour is on Sky, it's on my TV, it's right in front of me. A chore, I'm, I'm talking as someone is, who is a Sky subscriber, I suppose. Perhaps it's perhaps it's different for other people. Mm. To be fair, w- w- what I liked while watching it, I thought some of the new graphics I've introduced to sort of the broadcast was was really good. They like a stroke average graphic. So on some of the tee boxes, say if you, someone was lining up to take a shot, it would have like a colour coded um, graphic where which showed a stroke average of the the stroke average of the field based on where they've hit it off the tee. So I thought that was quite, I thought that was quite um, good for the viewer. Um, Mm. The wind, they're like a wind graphic, like showing the miles per hour and the direction of the winds, which I thought was decent. Um, Ahead of the event, they had a video including like Bryson and Mickelson and Bubba um, explaining, explaining the format and the schedule, which I thought was, you know, pretty informative for sort of 
um, new new viewers and golf fans in general. They they use players to explain how this season actually works. So I thought that was quite good. I think I think the I think the uniforms are good. I, I, I can honestly I don't I don't think I don't deny that these players do enjoy team golf. I'm sure they do. And I think I think the uniforms are all right. I think um, the team names and sort of the camaraderie that they have. I honestly think they do um, enjoy that part. That's not the reason why they've gone there. We all know the reason why they've gone there. But I, I don't deny they'd enjoy that element. And um, just to point out another family. Well, exactly, yeah. Um, I don't, and I think it's important that they've um, managed to acquire venues that are recognisable off the DP World Tour and the PGA Tour, like such as Mike Valderrama and the gallery, the gallery golf club, which was used for the Ascension match play years ago. So I think that's another positive for them that they have actually managed to like acquire well-known golf courses because it makes it more recognisable for golf fans. So it, 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 it's not all bad. Like I've, I've, I've pointed out a few positives there, which I think were, I think were, were genuinely good features um, of the broadcast. Yeah. I, look, I, I didn't watch a lot of it for the reasons that I just said. And I just I, I I wanted to just watch the PGA once it became apparent that yeah you know, the leaderboard on the PGA Tour was wonderful this weekend and and that's before you get to those storylines that we've already just mm. discussed so that was why I chose that I looked at the leaderboard on the website and it just there was nothing going for me you know Charles Howell is walking it and you just sort of thinking well that doesn't interest me at all I mean this is a guy who's I mean is this Charles Howell's the guy they used to call the cash machine or something didn't they because he just made so much money he's like earned like 50 million in his pga tour <laughs> career despite the fact he's had like two wins basically yeah it, i don't know that it was all over social media wasn't it where they were saying well look here are all the big name players and and that hurt the tournament a little bit really didn't it because the djs and the cam smiths and the brysons of the world i mean bryson didn't even show up for his team let alone himself mm. um so all the big name players were further down the leaderboard and, and you have to think that really that hurts live in that sense and when you haven't, I mean, Greg, if you but ask then, Greg Norman, if you ask Greg Norman right now, he'd go, oh well, Charles Howell hasn't won since 2018, and and you're thinking, well, that's not enough for me. He's he's whether he wins or not, he you know he's a multi gazillionaire, and he's now just more of a multi gazillionaire. So well, look, like I say, there, it, it, I suppose it's not an ideal week having not not having Cameron Smith or Dustin Johnson or other other big names at the top of the leaderboard, but. Say if you go into say if say if you went to every last final round of live of a live golf event. Say if you went to all fourteen of them or thirteen of the individual ones. So you go to the first one and you'd say, oh, who do you want to what, what do you want to see today? Oh, well, I want to see Dustin Johnson against Cam Smith. You know that'd be a great finish. But then the, the next week, what else do you want to see? Like on the, to be fair, on the PGA Tour, you could say, I hope John Rahm, you know, wins today. I hope McIlroy wins today. I hope Scheffler wins today. I hope Schauffele wins today. I hope Justin Thomas wins. But with with them, how, how when is wanting or seeing Dustin Johnson versus Cameron Smith going to get boring sort of thing? Yeah, that, 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 that's what sort of came to my mind. And I do. So for you, I, is it sorry? Sorry to interrupt. So for you, is it a bit like the the whole European Super League football thing where we're saying, well, I don't want to watch Juventus versus Barcelona every single week. I want to. I like the mix. Well, perhaps. Well, perhaps. Yeah. There's there's just more. Um, there's more variety. Um, but then if I said that, I would be uh, that's arguably hypocritical because the elevated events, the, the point of them is to put Barcelona against Real Madrid every week, isn't it? Um, yeah, but that's, that's, that's X amount of times a year. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose this is every single event, isn't it? There is no variety. But I, if I allude back to 
I, I struggle with the atmosphere that's being created at these events. Um, fair enough, you could go there for a good time, for a party atmosphere. The camera sort of pans onto people getting bladdered, which is fine, you know, but th- they're not there to watch the golf, I don't think, in that sense. And the demographic that live at Aiming for, in that sense, I think is young people. But yeah. with respect to a lot of the players, they're not young. And they don't, well, they they put don't... out that thing, didn't they, across social media, which when you consider what was going on on the PGA Tour with Kirk and his battle to overcome alcoholism, that live golf <laughs> and it wasn't deliberate no of course it wasn't but simultaneously they're posting on social media saying oh we've got a, a live golf drinking game for every birdie sink a shot for every eagle sink two shots etc mm. and you're thinking well hang on a second that's not like okay you want to make it fun that's fine mm. but i don't think necking alcohol is i mean a couple of colleagues went to the centurion event last year and yeah i was there as well and, yeah, well, you speak about it. I mean, they said George at the time said it was more about the the fans and what they were doing off the golf course than it was what was happening on the golf course. Mm, there was a very blatant sort of exhibition um, exhibition feel, like it was it was sort of like, oh look, Dustin Johnson's here. Everyone look at him. Everyone take pictures of him. Yeah, and I, I quite liked the fan experience part of it. Um, there was a very monster putt thing. And that they add on. They had a lot of they had a little mini golf course, um, loads of food things, the stage area, of course, where Craig Davis and all and all that performed. Um, I think it is worth noting, just for the sake of balance, that happens at PGA and European Tour events as well. I mean, mm. I've been to Wentworth a thousand times, and all of that stuff is going on down in the village. Yeah, it's just not, you know, blaring out ridiculously loud music while the golf is going oh. on. Oh yeah. And that, I, I struggle with that a bit, watching Liv. Um, another thing I've sort of struggled with is sort of alluding back to Greg Norman's interview when I think the there's been like a sort of a revelation of the franchise element of this. So these teams are going to try and grow into big franchises and attract sponsors, but not to disrespect them. But for example, the Ironheads, their team is Kevin Nahr, Si Wang Kim, Danny Lee and Scott Vincent. Now, not to disrespect any of those players, but why would a big sponsor invest in in a four man team of players that largely, well, well, golf fans have heard of them, or yeah. some of them, um, but casual golf fans haven't heard of them. So my point is, how on earth is this franchise model going to happen when they don't have recognisable players? Those four players in the Ironheads. How are they going to attract massive sponsorship? And how do these players, how do these teams expand? They'll need bigger fields for these teams to expand. Like this is not the NBA or NFL. I mean, it might be in 50 years time. We don't actually know that. But I found that quite sort of, I don't know, a bit cringy, a bit sort of very, very sort of lofty expectations. Yeah, you sort of think, oh, I can get behind Porter and Westwood and stuff because it's like a European slash British team. Mm. And, you know, generally as irritating as they've been since they moved to live golf at least with you know Westwood and Porter and in particular but you know they're long-term fan favorites over here and obviously people will like DJ and people will follow the range goats because of Bubba and his personality but yeah it's it's sort of hard to work out who's going to be following those other teams I mean someone (laughs) when the team names came out last year I got a flood of tweets saying, oh, you're going to follow Talk because it's close to Talky. And I was like, yeah, all right, I'll follow Talk. (laughs) Not sure I could name any of the players on that team, but yeah, I'm a big Talk fan. 
So do you really believe that, I mean, you say 50 years and I know you're sort of just saying that uh, as a, a heightened reality, but yeah, do you really figure. do you really imagine Saudi Arabia going more than a few years with this? I, I just feel like mm. surely at some point in the next few years, they're just going to get bored. And I think that actually some of the players, I mean, we talked last week about Brooks Kepka and apparently having buyer's remorse and he wants to come back to the PGA Tour. And do they, are these players, do you think they're just thinking, well, do you know what? I'll go and do it. I'll get my 200 million or whatever it is. And then in four years, when Saudi Arabia give up and just sack it off, I'll just go back to the PGA Tour. Well, perhaps. I mean, I think obviously Saudi Arabia, the public investment fund has got such a sort of pool of money that I think they could sort of, they could maybe sort of, they have the power to, to turn things on on and off with, with investments. And that and that, that is, I think, a bit of a fearful, that could be a fear for Live Golf. Like you say, that that is a good point. In fifty years' time, will the Saudi investment still be there? But I suppose you could, I suppose you could um, ask the same thing of things like Manchester City and say if uh, the Qatari investment group take over Manchester United, would they be there in fifty years' time? And it's a, I don't know. I suppose we don't, we we, we don't know. But in terms of players jumping ship, we sort of alluded to it last week. I I I I, I really really think that could happen, especially in the next decade, surely. Yeah. Um, the only issue is sort of the biggest stars probably will stop playing golf in the next decade. But I don't know with players like like I don't know like, like Matthew, or... Matthew Wolf or Neiman yeah. who are still sort of very young, Taylor Gooch maybe. I think they're sort of convincing themselves that, that they've made the right decision. I actually don't know them. I don't know what they're like and um, how they behave in terms of what decisions they make. But you you would have to think what 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 they've turned away from. There must be sort of some sort of buyer's remorse in in a lot of players' heads, but yeah, and we and we've seen that slightly with Brooks Koepka, haven't we? If if that is to be true, which I thought which I thought from the very get go from watching that Netflix episode was true. Maybe the option for someone like Koepka, if they want out without actually getting out, they could just get relegated from Live Golf. Now we've got this new. Mm. Uh, what what are they calling it? The Live Golf promotion uh, promotions event. event. Yeah, so just explain that a little bit for people that haven't seen that. Yeah, so according to wide reports, so there's going to be um, at the end of this season a Live Golf Promotions event should tick a box for them in terms of their application of getting official World Golf ranking status. Well, that's one need... of the big things, isn't it? So mm. they ha- they can't get one of the big reasons why they can't get OWGR points is because it's a closed off field, but that's yeah. no longer going to be the case. They need a Q score basically, like the DP World Tour have. And the PGA Tour have Monday qualifiers and the Corn Ferry Tour. They have a pathway to the main tour. And that's what Liv don't have. But according to a lot of reports, um, Golf Digest did a very detailed sort of rundown of it. Um, so the International Series money list leader from the Asian Tour, currently I think is Andy Ogletree. So say if he stays at the top of that to the end, he'll get a membership on back on Live Golf. And... There'll be three places up for grabs, three more places up for grabs on top of that um, for the Live Golf League next year. Um, and the the individual table in Live Golf will be crucial to this because the top 24 in the individual table that accumulate the most points with good finishes, they will be definitely playing Live Golf next year. The places 25 to 44 will, will essentially be put into a transfer market in which they can go to different teams. Um, there's 14 events in Live Golf this year. Um, what I found quite strange, though, the bottom four players are relegated. 
Um, so they will be eligible to enter the Live Golf Promotions event um, in certain rounds, which I'll get on to. But unless they have a multi-year contract, they can't get relegated. So for I think what, what I understood, if Phil Mickelson finished in the top bottom four, which is probably a distinct possibility. Of course, yeah. I can't see him getting relegated because he is literally a pioneer of Lib Golf. So I don't think he's going to get relegated. That's an example of how that would work. So the next player um, in the rankings above him would get relegated. In layman's terms, it's the bottom four who aren't contracted for a first yeah, season yes. will go out. Will go out. And they'll. And so, there's, so there's four rounds of this Live Promotions event, which is going to take place in November this year after the team championship in Jeddah. And round one, players eligible for this will be players ranked 6 to 32 in the Asian Tours International Series rankings um, and a number of winners of the of top amateur tournaments. Won't go through them all, um, but it's things like the British amateur, the US amateur. If they want to, they can go into yeah. the round one. I mean, we can we can just I think we can send people to nationalclubgolfer.com to read that because you've written it mm-hmm. up extensively. And if, if people are interested in that. I think for me, and I, I don't know about you, I, I think it's obviously they want the world ranking points. They're obviously trying to find ways to get them, but it feels like they're just trying to do the smallest amount possible, the absolute bare minimum to get these things over the line. And even when they do, I mean, can they really expect players to get, I mean, by the time they get OWGR points, which even if they start their promotion thing this year, it could be another year before OWGR accept them in. Their players will all be so far down the rankings by that point that their strength of field is going to be horrific Mm. and they're not going to get any ranking points anyway. They're not, it's going to take years for them to build their way back up, by which point, as we've already said, Saudi might have gone, do you know what, bored of this. Well, this also ticks one box. Like they need other boxes to be ticked. I think they need higher average fields. They need a 36-hole cut. I think there's a lot of criteria that they still don't meet. Yeah. Which which made the outrage um, that they didn't just get them overnight quite baffling. You know, I think they sort of thought they'd found a hack when they when they um, signed with an alliance with the Menator. I think they sort of thought they'd found found like a shortcut there. Um, but that is just, an, again, another box that needs to be ticked as part of their application. And um, these applications usually take at least 12 months, I think. For a I mean, that, that whole scenario is ludicrous. I mean, you go on the Minotaur website and they've got their season long rankings and you've just got all the live players who have earned hundreds of thousands of dollars. And then you've got like the, the guy who's actually top of the Minotaur rankings is something like 45th or 48th or something. And he's he's earned like 15,000 dollars and it's just it's, it's it makes a mockery of the minotaur the minotaur if you follow them on social media haven't mentioned live golf at any point i mean this is the technically the first event of the minotaur season or whatever you want to say and they haven't even mentioned it the whole thing is absolutely ludicrous but oh, i'm so fed up with it oh, i'm so fed up with it just the, the what what it's doing and, and the fact that we just have to keep Mm. treading back over it but I, when's the next event march have we got a bit of time off at least now before they come back but um yeah it's march it's at tucson it's a gallery golf club where the, where the essential match that's, that's the next one is it one thing i will say and this was this for me was the most interesting thing that came out over the weekend was that luke donald and zach johnson the Ryder cup captains were very 
they very much stayed on the fence, didn't they, when they were asked about whether or not live players were going mm. to be allowed to play in the Ryder Cup. Now, I understand why they're doing that, because if it turns out, if they say, I'm absolutely not picking live players for my team, it's just not going to happen. And then Ryder Cup Europe and Ryder Cup USA turn around and say, do you know what? We're going to do the same as the majors. We're not getting involved. Mm. If they qualify for the Ryder Cup, they can play. If you want to pick them for the Ryder Cup, you can. Now, Luke Donald uh, and Zach Johnson, obviously, have got to be very sensible with that because if they say, I absolutely don't want any, any live golf players in the Ryder Cup team, and then the powers that be allow them to play, then they're going to look very silly because they're going to have to captain these players. So I sort of feel that. Now, I've said this on this podcast before last year, that I absolutely, I want the Ryder Cup to be the best 12 European players versus the best 12 American players. I don't care what tour they play on. I just want the 12 best versus the 12 best. And that's all that matters to me. I agree with the the major stance on it, that they're not getting involved, that they're just saying, look, if they qualify, they qualify. Don't really care where they play. And that's absolutely fine. I feel the same about the Ryder Cup. Where do you stand on it? Um, yeah, I'm exactly the same. Sorry to be boring, but I do agree. I'm, I'm not, I, again, like I sort of alluded to last week, I'm not offended by Live Golf. I'm not outraged by it. Um, I don't really think it matters what tour they play on. The only thing that does matter is that they have sacrificed getting world ranking points, which puts them in the standings. That's no one's fault. That's just rules of rules. Yeah. But for example, if Thomas Peters wins four Live events, that would make him hard to ignore in terms of a captain's pick. So yeah. I think that's, I think that's when people like Luke Donald and Zach Johnson are going to look at it and think, I need to choose the best 12 players as we want. Thomas Peters is playing objectively good golf. It doesn't matter what who he's playing against. It doesn't matter what courses. He's playing objectively good golf. It's just an example, obviously, just choose Thomas Peters. Because he could realistically have still got in the Ryder Cup team. Sure. Am I going to choose him? Am I going to choose a live golf player? Or is it just easier if I just don't choose any of them? They might just think it's so easy if I just don't choose any of them. There'd be no controversy. There'd be no um, potential friction in, in, in the, in the um, sort of team camp. And Zach Johnson could think the same. But I think Zach Johnson has got an even harder task because Dustin Johnson could realistically play well in the majors this year and li- win two or three live events. And I think that would really, really test that Zach Johnson. Not, not, not that I think, and to be fair... Yeah, his record might... record's really good as well, you know. Yeah. Did he, did he go five for five in Western yeah. Australia or four for five? Yeah, he's yeah. unbelievable, wasn't he? Well, well, I think I think he would genuinely be um, a big miss for America. I think it sort of showed that the President's Cup, the moments in the last round of the President's Cup where the internationals might have come back into it. Um, and I think Dustin Johnson is a big miss for, Liv, uh, for the Ryder Cup team in America. Um, and they're still friends. You know, these guys are still friends with, you know, they're old PGA Tour. I mean, you had Jordan Spieth a couple of weeks ago when he was, I think it was ahead of Pebble Beach, when he was asked about the players from Liv who he misses the most. And he said, surprisingly, mm. it was Dustin Johnson. And Fina said that as know, well, we, I think. Yeah. So, you know, these guys are all still pals. I, mm. Yeah, I, I agree. I would have them at the Ryder Cup. So maybe let's start that campaign. Allow Liv golfers in the Ryder Cup. Maybe we should start a, a thing. Well, to a be move, fair, I mean, movement. it... The, the friendship thing, you probably couldn't even say that for Team Europe because obviously McElroy um, has sort of openly admitted that he doesn't speak to some of them. Um, mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the European players have said too much now. I think that they were all very outspoken at the BMW PGA at Wentworth. Um, so I think in terms of that, I think Luke Donald's hands are very much tied with live golfers. But in terms of the American team, 
I, don't, I think they seem very carefree compared to um, the hostility with European players. Well, I wonder if they're looking at that and going, well, hang on a second. Like, we've just had the, the record victory, certainly in the mm. USA Europe era of the Ryder Cup. Why would we break up that team? So maybe they're looking at that. And now, you know, t- the European team over the last couple of decades, which has dominated the Ryder Cup, on paper hasn't necessarily been anywhere near as talented as the as their opposition mm. in any given Ryder Cup week. But it's that camaraderie and teamwork that's brought them together. And as you say there, that's not going to exist if Porter and Westwood and Sergio Garcia are on the Ryder Cup team. Like mm. you you won't you wouldn't be able to have that that team experience when there's been such open and public debate between players on the PGA Tour side slash DP World Tour side and and live golf. It just wouldn't be able to work. Like Luke Donald would never, ever be able to bring that team together and forge something that could work, forge a, a team together that could beat mm. one of the most dominant Ryder Cup teams of all time. It just wouldn't happen. Do you think Cameron Smith and Neiman should have been um, included in the President's Cup team? Yeah, my my feelings are the same. Yeah, looking back now, looking back now, it's quite mad that they weren't um, involved because I don't think there's no any known hostilities. It's it's mad that it's mad that Ryan Fox wasn't involved and he didn't even go to the golf. There's a a lot of there's a lot of questions to be asked about Trevor Immelman's decisions, but yeah, I, I yeah completely the same. I I completely believe that they should have been allowed it would have made it i mean it was it was an entertaining tournament but essentially america walked it as they mm. so often do in that in that event but you know they needed players i mean you had, you had the world number two and you're not letting him play because he's decided to go to live golf now i sort of understand the reason i i don't sort of understand i do understand the reasons why the pga tour and the dp world tour um don't want them playing on their tours because it's essentially a rival but the majors is different the Ryder cup is different obviously you have the the pga tour is involved heavily in these tournaments so you kind of understand it in that sense but well maybe that was the reason why they did it because they went oh it's actually it's fine because two of your best players have gone to live so no you absolutely (laughs) yeah so i don't know all right i think that seems like a pretty decent place to leave it we've been nattering on for, for some time my we've been nattering on for so long that my timer in the top corner has, has gone off so i'll oh, just just before we go up we should probably give a shout out to the other two podcasts in the ncg podcast family that is from the clubhouse which is tom Irwin and steve carroll discussing everything about the grassroots game from handicapping to white belts and then you've got <laughs> hannah holden and jack backhouse on the all the gear podcast for all you equipment nerds out there and you can find all of those wherever you get your podcasts if you listen to podcasts you know where to find them so and make sure you follow us on twitter and instagram and facebook and all those things as well and should we come back next week to discuss the i'll be in america next week because i'm going to the players championship mm, yeah so i'm, I'm very sure, jealous i'm not sure how we're going to work this um, ncg like going to sawgrass that's sort of... i know we've it's, it's our second visit get a membership so yeah well yeah honorary members of tpc sawgrass <laughs> Uh, I'm not sure I'll be able to tee up next week, given that there's a tournament going on. But we'll um, we'll have to try and work out some way of recording a podcast, a transatlantic podcast. Mm. But yes, I'll be in Florida. So cool. Speak to you next week. Good. Well, actually, I'll speak to you in about 10 minutes. Cause, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Matt. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>